I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hello and welcome to another edition of Flight Deck. An inside look at the New York Jets. I'm your host, Rich Samini. I cover the Jets for ESPN. After months and months of speculation, we're almost there. It's almost time for the NFL Draft, also known as the Super Bowl for Jets fans. I'm going to call this the most important draft in recent memory. Now, before you say I'm guilty of hyperbole, let me explain. Two picks in the top 10 for the first time in history, Jets history. Four picks in the top 38, five in the first three rounds. This is the draft Joe Douglas has been building toward, the draft where he finally cashes in on those assets he collected from the Jamal Adams and Sam Darnold trades. Now, let's be clear. The most important pick of Douglas's tenure happened last year with Zach Wilson, second overall. Nothing can change that. That will make or break the Douglas Robert Sala regime. But April 28th to 30th is the most important draft. Last year's was solid, a lot better than 2020, but not extraordinary. If he can stack two good ones in a row, well, then you're talking the Jets could be on their way. We're going to get into that and some other options with ESPN draft analyst Jordan Reed. You definitely want to hear Jordan. He brings a unique perspective because he played the game. The man knows his stuff, so stay tuned for that. For now, let's get right into the nitty-gritty. First, Debo Samuel. Yes, the Jets are interested. Very interested. They can't say that publicly, of course, but trust me, they are. What would it take to get Samuel one of the top weapons in the league to the Jets. Really, I think it'll come down to whether the Jets want to include the 10th pick. Now, Tyreek Hill went for picks 29 and 50. Devontae Adams went for 22 and 53. So the Jets are probably thinking, why should we give up 10? They'd certainly be willing to part with 35, 38, and 69, which was the Tyreek Hill offer they made. And by the way, on the points value chart, 35, 38, and 69 is basically the equivalent of 10. Now, the 49ers are telling people they won't trade him. But look, the NFL has changed and star players get their way. So, yes, I think it's a possibility. Me, I'd give up 10 for a 26-year-old playmaker who can do everything. He'd take the Jets' offense to a different level and would be a huge help for Zach Wilson. So I say do it. Now, Onto the draft. The fourth pick. What will the Jets do? This is a really tough call this year. This is more unsettled than I can remember in some time. I think it comes down to Iki Aquanu, the tackle out of NC State, or Kayvon Thibodeau, the Oregon edge rusher. I think Hayden Hutchinson and, and Trayvon Walker are going to go one, two, not necessarily in that order. So, barring a trade, Houston at three, I think, really holds the key for the Jets. Houston's roster is so bad that they could go in pretty much any direction. 
It could be Aquanu. It could be Alabama tackle Evan Neal. It could be Thibodeau. It could be Cincinnati corner Sauce Gardner. You just don't know with Houston. They're a weird organization. If they take Aquanu, I think there's a pretty good chance the Jets go with Thibodeau. A month ago, I didn't think that was possible. I just didn't think he was their kind of player, kind of a me guy. You know, they say his motor runs hot and cold as the Jets. But as the draft gets closer, we find out more information, just like the teams do. And yes, right now, I think he's a possibility. He's been, uh, I think the, the Jets feeling is that this me guy stuff and all that narrative has been overblown. They don't see him as a malicious guy at all. They see him as a very confident player, a very smart player, and uh, and a good player. So I think I think the head coach likes Thibodeau, and I know the head coach craves an edge rusher. And with Hutchinson and Walker gone, and I'm not so sure Walker would be the answer either, to be quite honest. I, you know, it's Thibodeau or Jermaine Johnson from Florida State. Now Johnson's a good prospect. I say he has a higher floor than Thibodeau. But Thibodeau has the higher ceiling, and that is very, very intriguing to Sala and some people in the building. So what I'm saying is I think Sala wants his GM to get him an edge rusher, and Thibodeau has the name, the college production, and some metrics that can be really exciting. Uh, there is, you know, there's just some things, there's some question marks there. You know, he's not a natural bender, which is what separates the good edge rushers from the great ones. He's got a good 40 time, 4.58, and his 10 yard split, which is very important for pass rushers, is good too, 1.56. Uh, you know, I've talked to a lot of talent evaluators, and they all think Thibodeau has a chance to be very good, but he's got to learn some pass rush moves, some counter moves. His repertoire is pretty limited. I know he's working on that. In interviews with teams, he's talked about how he's using block, you know, trying to set up blockers early in the game, and then he tries to capitalize in the fourth quarter. So it seems like he's committed to trying to learn that stuff. But right now, a pretty limited arsenal. He has to commit himself to being great at football. He has a lot of outside interests and endorsements, and, you know, and some wonder if he loves the game. Uh, I've heard through the grapevine that when he was selecting an agent, he actually made some pretty steep demands. He wound up firing his first agent. Guys usually wait a couple of years before doing that. Uh, that's given some pause to people. But he is a good football player. I mean, his freshman year at Oregon was outstanding. Nine sacks, 14 TFLs, a block punt. He was great. This year, this past year, he was good. Not great. Missed a couple of games with an ankle injury, so that maybe hampered him when he came back. The interesting scenario to me is if Thibodeau and Aquanu are available, then what? Most people in the league would agree that based purely on best player available, it would have to be Aquanu. He's an absolute stud. He can play left tackle, right tackle, even guard. He's got all the measurable, and he plays with a nasty attitude. He's a great kid extremely smart, had offers from Harvard and Yale. He would start immediately at left or right tackle, and then you'd have Mekhi Becton and George Fan battle it out for the other tackle spot. You know, with Aquanu, AVT, and Lakin Tomlinson, the Jets would have one of the best offensive lines in the league. And if Becton gets his situation together, wow, they could really be an awesome front. So it would be a really interesting dilemma for Joe Douglas. We know he's the best available guy, and we know he's an offensive line guy, too. 
He's also a got to protect my young quarterback guy. But I think he wants to give his defensive minded head coach a chance to run his defense the way he wants to. And Thibodeau would enable him to do that. So, yeah, this would be a really tough decision. Could they throw a curve and go in a different direction? In that case, I think they'd consider Sauce Gardner, terrific prospect, um, all the measurables. But corners aren't valued as highly in Salah's system as they are in some others. I think philosophically, he likes to take later round picks, system corners, and plug them into his system. You make an exception, of course, if the player is a super blue chip a unicorn. But talent evaluators uh, will tell you this draft doesn't have any of those players. Plus, the Jets spend some good money on DJ Reed and they like their young corners. So yeah, it would surprise me a little if they take Gardner or Derek Stingley Jr. at four or 10 for that matter. At 10, I think it's going to be a receiver if there's no Debo Samuel trade. The name that keeps popping is Jamison Williams, the speedster from Alabama. That would take some serious chutzpah, considering he's recovering from an ACL surgery and probably won't be ready until November, give or take. But the long-term payoff could be massive. We're talking about a Tyreek Hill kind of talent. If it's not Williams, I'd keep an eye on Drake London, 6'4 out of USC. The Jets need some size at wide receiver. They do have Corey Davis, but I think he'll be gone in a year, and it'll be left to Elijah Moore and Braxton Berrios. So London fits from that aspect, even though Garrett Wilson from the scouts I've talked to might be a better overall player than London. So there you have it. I say it'll be Aquanu or Thibodeau at four and a wide receiver at 10. My sources tell me the Jets are open to trading down at 10, which makes a lot of sense. Maybe there's a team in the teens that falls in love with one of these quarterbacks and wants to move up. That's a possibility. we got the Debo Samuel possibility. This is going to be a fascinating few days for Jets fans. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. I'd like to welcome in a first-time guest to Flight Deck. It's Jordan Reed, and you've seen him on uh, across ESPN platforms. You've heard him on our platforms. And the thing that makes Jordan a little bit different from guys like Mel and, and Todd and, and Matt Miller is that Jordan played the game at a high level. He was a starting quarterback at North Carolina Central, I think from 2010 to 13, if I'm not mistaken. And then you went right into coaching at your alma mater and uh, was part of a staff that won three MEAC titles. And if I'm not mistaken, Jordan, correct me, do you still hold the school record for a completion percentage? I do. It's one of the few records that I can still <laughs> hang on to. <laughs> You're being modest. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Yeah. And so, you know, I let's get a quarterback's perspective. Before we jump into a little draft talk on the Jets, this year, a year ago, we were immersed in draft conversation about quarterbacks. The Jets draft Jet, Zach Wilson. What did you think of him then going into that draft? And what kind of rookie year do you think you had? he had? Yeah, I, I like Zach a lot coming out. And he was my third-ranked quarterback. I had Lawrence and Fields ahead of him. And 
last year's draft class, as far as quarterbacks, it was one of the best that we have seen in a very long time. We had five guys going the top 15. Zach ended up going number two overall. And he's one of those guys like Joe Burrow that just made an ascension out of nowhere. That magical last year that he had when he was at BYU. And then just the one word that I would describe him is just quick. He's very twitchy. He's very quick. He has a very quick release. He's very smart, too. And I, as the year went along with his rookie season, it started off a bit rough. Had some injuries throughout the depth chart, especially along the offensive line. I thought he did a good job of adjusting down the back stretch of last year. And you start to see you start to see him get more comfortable. The speed of the game started to slow down quite a bit for him, too. So I'm expecting big things from him in year two. Well, one of the things Joe Douglas has said uh, repeatedly this offseason is that their, their goal is to improve the supporting cast around Zach Wilson to help him reach his potential which leads us right into uh, Thursday night and the draft. And, you know, the Jets have so much draft capital to help Zach Wilson. And so let's just jump right into the to the big story here with the fourth pick. Um, what do you think? The, the Jets might have some options there. I mean, the, last year was easy. We knew they were taking Zach Wilson, but this year they might have some options. What do you see as some of those likely options? Yeah, it's really, really interesting. And times are exciting for you guys, especially having two top 10 selections. It's always fun when you have that early draft capital. And Joe Douglas, he's been kind of hesitant with revealing his tendencies as far as what he likes to do in the draft. He's a man of very few words, as you guys know. Yeah. Very frequently with him, he doesn't say a whole bunch as far as what he's thinking. But Joe Douglas is one of those guys where you kind of have to pay attention to some of the moves that he makes or whether they whether they are successful or unsuccessful. And one area that I think they could address, not at four, but at 10, I think it's wide receiver. I think that's one area of where they want to get locked down just because they seem to be a big contender in the Tyreek Hill race and then some other big receivers that came up this offseason. It seems like Joe Douglas wants to get that bona fide wide receiver one in the building. So if I had to guess, they probably will go wide receiver at 10, but at number four overall, it really is a toss-up. It could be offensive lineman. They could go with Kim Aquanu. They could go Evan Neal. But also they could go edge rusher. I think this team has to figure out a way to get a defensive end. The last time they had a double-digit sack guy was Muhammad Wilkerson in 2015. So seven years since that has happened, they haven't had a feared guy off of the edge really since John Abraham. And I know they were expecting Carl Lawson to be that guy last year. But, of course, he suffered the injury in training camp. So hopefully he's able to come back and be that type of player. But they still have to get a young guy in the building to pair with Carl Lawson. And we all know Robert Sala's defensive scheme is predicated on getting to the passer. You know, a four-man front, it's it's an upfield, attack-style defense. And, uh, yeah, they do need that edge guy. Uh, you're high on Kayvon Thibodeau. In fact, I read, read your final rankings. You're a little bit higher on him than, say, Mel and Todd and those guys. Uh, why? What, like, what do you like so much about Thibodeau? Well, I just like the combination of size and athleticism with him. And I think he's just scratching the surface of what he can be. And what I mean by that is throughout his career at Oregon, you progressively saw him get better as a pass rusher. So it started out as him, just what I like to call out athleting everybody. And he just relied on his natural ability a lot. But during his final two seasons, he's starting to string moves together. He's better as a run defender. And then a lot of the things that he wanted to do started to make sense. He had a plan as a pass rusher, as opposed to just freelancing and see what would work at the time. So I think he still has a lot of room to grow as a pass rusher. And then I think he's an underrated run defender too. Are you buying into this narrative around him about, you know, some, you know, sometimes he takes plays off and, you know, some of the effort, you know, wanes at certain points. So what happens a lot of times with some prospects, Rich, and this is targeted to one prospect every year. I can never tell you who it's going to be, but it's always one guy. 
And what happens is they become a kind of a punching bag for the media. And he seems to be that guy this year as far as the ever concerns, some of the off the field interest that he does have as far as branding. He seems to be that guy that is the punching bag this year. But one thing I will say about Thibodeau is that if you think about all of the top edge rushers, whether it's Trayvon Walker, Aiden Hutchinson, Kayvon Thibodeau, they had a running mate beside them. At Michigan, Aiden Hutchinson had David Ajabo and Trayvon Walker. I mean, he had seven or eight other guys that are going to get drafted with him. But along the defensive line, he had some freaks along that front, too. It was just Kayvon Thibodeau at Oregon. So whenever he did, quote unquote, take a playoff or he didn't have an impact on the play, it just seems like it wasn't high effort. There were some effort concerns when in reality, there was just there just was a lot more attention to him. And all the attention was on him in Oregon's defense, as opposed to with Aiden Hutchinson. He had other guys that could alleviate some of that attention from him. So I think that's something that really goes unnoticed about Kayvon Thibodeau's stop. That's a really good point. Um, interesting. You had uh, Derek Stingley Jr. rated one step uh, slot ahead of Sauce Gardner. Uh, you had uh, six and seven. Uh, would it shock you if the Jets go corner at four? It would, just because what Joe Douglas has shown in years past and then in previous places that he has been, he kind of waits to day two or day three to take those secondary guys. And if you think about some of the previous draft classes, whether it's a Brandon Eccles or um, a Bryce Hall, they've gotten production from both of those guys. And both of those guys ended up being day three selections. So for whatever reason, he just doesn't value secondary guys very early on. And the highest defensive player that he has selected during his regime is Ashton Davis, which came in the third round. So he just doesn't value those secondary guys early on. And maybe he just feels as if he can find better value later on in the draft. Yeah, I'm totally with you on that. And and the weird thing is, you know, they, in my opinion, I, I think they need a free safety right now. And there's Kyle Hamilton, who's the number four guy on your board and is like a consensus top five player. Everyone's got him up there. I, it just doesn't seem like it would happen, though. A safety at four would be very un-Joe Douglas-like. Yeah, it would, especially after signing Jordan Whitehead, who can be that free safety, that middle of the field sideline to sideline guy that can roam. So they may look for a strong safety and an underneath guy. And they have two picks very early on in the second round. I think that's going to be right in the wheelhouse of where we could see some of these names at the safety position come off the board. Right. So uh, I'm going to put you, imagine you're sitting in Joe Douglas's chair right now, and we got all this Debo Samuel talk going on. Uh, would you give up the 10th pick in the draft to get Debo Samuel? I wouldn't just because what's happening a lot right now is that the market for wide receiver ones is is booming right now. Like it's really, really ridiculous. We saw what Tyreek Hill got. We saw Devontae Adams. And then most recently, excuse me, with Stephon Diggs, we saw those guys get 20, 25 plus million dollars a year. So not only are you expending high end draft capital, but you're probably going to have to give Debo 25 to 35, excuse me, 25 to 30 million dollars a year. And I just think the draft is a better route for that as far as where they are right now. And I know you're taking a guy at 10 that you're hoping could eventually turn into Debo Samuel, but you just have to trust your scouting department and trust your draft board to where you feel as if you can get that guy for a cheaper five-year deal as opposed to dishing out that $25 plus million dollars a year. Yeah, I mean, it's about roster building. It's about economics and so forth. I personally would do it because I just think – it would help Zach Wilson a lot. And they have a, you know, they have their quarterback on his rookie contract, which which gives you that little window, that little flexibility. Um of the receivers in this draft, and there are a few really good ones, which do you think would be the best scheme fit for the Jets, knowing what kind of offense they run? 
Well, there's two guys that I think would be really good fits. And the first one is Garrett Wilson from Ohio State. And forming a little bit of a Wilson-to-Wilson connection in the Big Apple, I think that would satisfy a lot of Jets fans with Garrett Wilson. I just think he's a fantastic blend of – he doesn't have overly great size. He has a little bit of a slender build, but he reminds me a lot of Stephon Diggs when he was coming out of Maryland as far as the body control, the hands, how deceptive he is as a route runner, how creative he is as a route runner too. Plays much bigger than what his size does ind- indicate too. So I'm a big fan of Garrett Wilson. Then also – on the opposite end of the spectrum, who's much different as a receiver, and it's Drake London from USC. I think he would be a really good fit, too. He reminds me a lot of Mike Williams when he was coming out of Clemson, that big go-up-and-get-it type of wide receiver. But he's not just that. He provides you with plenty of yards after the catch, and he's an underrated route runner, too, in the short to intermediate areas. You know, through my reporting, there's been some buzz in recent uh, weeks about Jamison Williams and, and the Jets. Uh might be kind of high to take a guy at 10 who's coming off an ACL, but we know how good he is when he's, when he was healthy. What do you think on that one? Is that, what do you think the sweet spot for him is in the first round and what's Jamison Williams and Williams's upside? I think early teens to 18 and 19. I think that's probably where we could see him end up going, but it wouldn't surprise me if he's he's still the first wide receiver off the board just because he provides a unique skill set that no other wide receiver in this draft class provides. He has world-class speed. He has good hands, and he's a creative route runner, too. He's what I like to call a gear shift runner. He can accelerate, he can decelerate, and he can change in any direction when he wants to. And it's just amazing that he wasn't able to get on the field at Ohio State. And that just goes to show you the talent that was in that wide receiver course. But also, when he went to Alabama, he quickly became the number one wide receiver. Four touchdowns of over 75-plus yards this past season. So he just unlocks that deeper portions of the field, but also he can dominate in the underneath areas too. I like Williams a lot. Yeah, that's one of the big mysteries of this draft is like, why did he leave Ohio State? I mean, he. I mean, we know they have a strong depth chart. Clearly, they're going to have two, two, two guys drafted in the first round. But I don't know. Does that – what is that – does it tell you something about the person that he didn't want to stay there and fight for playing time? Or maybe you have some intel on that, that why he left. Well, it was just a matter of him just wanting an expanded role. And it's the same thing, same thing that we saw with Jermaine Johnson, the second defensive end for Florida State, him being at Georgia, and then going over to the Seminoles. These guys just want an expanded role, especially when you're getting to the latter parts of your career, your junior, your, season, your senior season. You look up the depth chart, you see Chris Olave, you see Garrett Wilson, and also – Jackson Smith and Jigbo, who's probably going to be a first-round selection next year. So you have three guys in front of you that are going to be eventual first-round selections. And then you have somebody like Alabama who's known for developing their wide receivers and getting them in the first round, coupled with having a very talented quarterback. So I just think he saw it as an open opportunity for him to get more touches and end up working out for him. If you were back in your quarterbacking days and you were thrown to a guy like Jamison Williams, I imagine you'd be a very happy quarterback, uh, you know, and any of these receivers, in fact, you know, and even uh, Drake London, who's so unique, but, but he didn't run a 40, you know, he was injured. He decided not to run a 40. If you're a GM or a talent evaluator, how do you, I mean, does that factor into your process at all? Not knowing his exact speed? No, it doesn't. I think it's just one situation of where you just have to trust the tape with him, and he's playing fast enough on tape. And in the scouting circles, everybody knew that he wasn't going to run a 40 just because he could only hurt himself with that 40. In my honest opinion, if he goes out and he runs a 4-6, you're talking about two weeks away from the draft, he's hurting himself. So he got great advice to not run the 40, and scouts knew that he wasn't going to run it. That was more so of a media thing of people hyping up his pro day, thinking he was going to do everything. That was never the case. 
with them. He just wanted to come and show that he was healthy with the on-field drills. And everybody that I talked to that was there said it was very, very impressive. Okay, brass tacks question here. We know what the Jets have. They have four of the top 38 picks. They have five in the first three rounds. It's a, it's a massive draft capital situation. What, in your opinion, would be considered a successful draft for the Jets? Well, I think getting a defensive end, whether it's at four or 10, getting Kayvon Thibodeau, who I think is going to be there for them with the fourth overall pick, I think that would be a home run selection for them. At 10, I would look to address wide receiver, um, whether that's whether that's Jamison Williams or Garrett Wilson or even a Drake London. I would be fine with taking any of those three at number 10 overall. And then at the beginning of the second round, there's so many different ways that they could go with the selection. They could go safety, which I, which is where I would go. I would look to take one of these safeties in this draft. Jaquan Brisker is one name that I think fits really well if you're thinking for a running mate with uh, Jordan Whitehead. Uh, Jalen Petrie from Baylor is another name that I like really a lot that can really dominate in those underneath areas. That reminds me a lot of Tyra Matthew when he was coming out. But that second, um, second round pick, there's a lot of different directions that they could go. They could go linebacker. They could go defensive end again. They could go running back. There's so many different areas of where they could go. So I'm really looking forward to seeing what Joe Douglas does with that second round selection. You and tens of thousands of other Jet fans waiting eagerly for Thursday. Uh, Jordan Reed, can't thank you enough. Really appreciate it. For those listening, you can find Jordan uh, on any ESPN platform. You'll see him. You'll hear him a lot in the days leading up to the draft. Jordan, thanks so much. Really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Rich. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. This is going to be a crazy draft. I mean, you just heard from Jordan Reed, and it certainly sounds like he has Thibodeau going to the Jets. I talked to Daniel Jeremiah, the uh, NFL Network draft analyst, the other day, and he'd love to see the Jets take Sauce Gardner at four. Me, you know, I'm a best player available guy. I think Iki Aquanu would great be a great value at four. So basically... There's a lot of confusion at this point. I talked to some people around the league, you know, some people with the Jets. They don't even know what the teams ahead of the Jets are doing. We don't even know what Jacksonville is doing at one. So it's really hard to do a mock draft uh, if you don't know what the first team is doing. It was so much easier last year. We knew it was going to be Trevor Lawrence and we knew the Jets were going to take Zach Wilson. But this is what makes it fun. This is draft season, man. This takes you back to the day where, you know, you were uh, in suspense as your team was on the clock. And I certainly think that will be the case on Thursday night. So uh, good stuff from Jordan Reed. We want to thank him. Thank our producer, Jeff Scopin. We will be back next week before the draft with a quickie update from Flight Deck on the latest rumors and what we're hearing as the Jets get ready for this watershed draft until then we'll talk to you next time on flight deck